turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Good evening, family. Ron Geyer with more End Time Insights. And we are back once again. And, you know, once again, on my heart, I am not a pastor. I am a Bible teacher. We have a Bible study in our home, 15, 25 people, 30 people when we feed them good. And we just get together and we worship the Lord and I teach the Bible. And uh, I try to talk about the things that you're not hearing from your pastor in church. I don't care whether you're Catholic. I don't care if you're Word of Faith, if you're Pentecostal, Charismatic, Baptist, Lutheran, doesn't matter. We are going to tell you things that I know your pastor is not telling you because we're trying to round out your Christian education. Amen. And so today I want to talk about, can we please preach the gospel? The gospel, it's a shame that I have to talk about preaching the gospel because I don't feel that our leaders are preaching the gospel. They're preaching parts of the gospel. They're taking the parts that are easy to swallow and they're leaving out the difficult, challenging parts. Basically, we're eating cake and candy and hot dogs and burgers. We're not eating steak. We're not eating our veggies. And so I'll be talking about veggies. I put suffering under veggies. Uh, It's difficult, but you need them. And so today we're talking about, can we please preach the gospel? Basically, what is the gospel? Since the message of man's sin and Christ's redemption for mankind towards salvation is the main theme, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I don't want people to say, no, they don't talk about that in the Old Testament. It points to it in the Old Testament. The theme is constant, whether it's Passover Uh, Any of the other Jewish festivals, whether it's in Psalms or Proverbs, salvation is talked about often and man's need for salvation. Basically, the gospel is, broadly speaking, it's the whole of Scripture. It's the Bible. More narrowly, the gospel is the good news concerning Jesus Christ, the way of salvation. But it's the whole counsel of God, the gospel. It includes everything. We focus on being born again and we focus on man being a sinner. Well, we should be. I take that back. A lot of preachers don't want to bring up man's sin. It doesn't fill seats. But at the end of the day, we have to tell people mankind is dead. He's not just bad. He's dead. He is spiritually dead. And so preaching the gospel is the power of God unto life, unto salvation. The elements of the gospel are clearly stated in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. And a key passage concerning the good news of God, Paul writes, For what I received... I passed on to you as of first importance, as of primary importance. And what did he pass on? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That is the foundation, number one point. You are a sinner of mankind. Christ died for your sins. Mankind needs a Messiah. 
His name is Jesus. I'm sorry, go back to Paul. (laughs) For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So that's the gospel. Acts 17.3, Paul puts it this way, expounding and alleging that it was necessary for Christ to have suffered and risen again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. There you have it. It was necessary for Christ to suffer. Hmm. We skip over that part. Why? Because if we're going to be made in the image of God, if we're going to take on the, the lifestyle, the character, the personality, the persona of Christ, we are going to have to suffer also. Let's break it down even further. Paul is saying that he expounded. That means to explain by setting forth in careful and often elaborate detail. That's what expounded means. And Paul says, I'm expounding. I love this. This is how Paul preached the gospel. He chooses here to introduce two key elements of his preaching of the gospel. Number one, he will do it carefully. And the elements that he's going to talk about, the topic that he is going to carefully expound, it is Christ's suffering and his resurrection. And that demanded Paul's best. If I may, I would like to promote the fact that Christ's suffering was every bit as important as his resurrection. Both suffering and resurrection were the earmarks of Christ's claim to being our Messiah. And, as Paul says, it was necessary. It was necessary to what? It was necessary that he suffer. It doesn't preach, but it must. Why? Of course, 1 Peter 4.13, But rejoice inasmuch as you, saints of God, are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. This is the gospel, folks. Good news? Yes, absolutely. Now, to God, us suffering has great results. He doesn't see it like we do. We see it because we get scared when our earth suits are made uncomfortable. But First Peter 13, but rejoice. That means joy again. Be joyous again. Why? It's so good because we can share not only in Christ, but with Christ as well. We are fine with sharing blessings and giftings and peace and power that comes from having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, with God. But here it's revealed we get to share in his suffering as well. Wow. And what should our response be, says Peter? It should be rejoicing. Again, joy. But I just love the graciousness of God, right? Paul calls us partakers of his suffering. Partakers. We don't have to take it all. We just have to share in it. We have a part to play in the sufferings of Christ. We just have to do our part, saints. Remember, first your cross, then your crown. Just like Jesus, cross first, then crown. The cross will always precede the crown. First Peter two twenty one, For even hereunto were you called. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. What does that mean? That means you're going to suffer, guys. Plainly stated, we are called to suffer. It's part of the gospel. If you're going to leave that part out of the gospel, you are doing a disservice to the saints that are committing to Christ. As we endeavor to win the lost, we must tell them the truth about what their commitment to Christ will entail. Yes, there's freedom from the curse of sin. Yes, there's deliverance from demonic control. 
Yes, there's peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. But here will also be suffering. The Jewish Christians in the early church, remember most of the people that came to Christ uh, when the gospel first came out, they were Jews. They were converted Jews. And so uh, these people, they paid hell for their change to Christianity. And they were followed by the Judaizers. It was a constant ongoing battle. They followed Paul throughout the land and they were constantly trying to stone him and kill him and crucify him. They were uh, criticizing what he was doing. They reported him to the authorities. They were all out to stop Paul. It was demonic. The Jewish Christians in the early church, they knew that when they committed to Christ, they were putting their jobs on the line. They might lose their homes. Their lives even were at risk. Their entire future, their families was at risk if they were changing from being Jewish to being a Christian. So that when they made their commitment, it was sincere and it was with the knowledge that they could lose everything. Romans eight seventeen in the Amplified, great verse. And if we are his children, we are, then we are heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We are sharing his inheritance with him. Yes, that's great. We're children, we're heirs, and we share the inheritance of Christ from God with him. Only we must share his suffering also if we are to share his glory. You don't hear those verses preached in church. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing on the radio. You know, I'm not hanging the other preachers. I'm just filling in the blanks that they're leaving, which are creating carnal Christians, which are creating soft Christians, which are leaving people in the dark. They go, I didn't sign up for this. Well, you did, but we failed to tell you. That's part of the apostasy. We're losing people back into the world because we did not explain to them the requirement uh, that their lives would be put at risk when you come to know Christ. You know, 100,000 people a year in the Middle East are being persecuted. They're being killed for their faith. They know what it means to be a Christian over here in America. Nah, we're lollygagging through faith. We think that God's going to bless us. He's only going to bless us. He's got nothing else to do but bless us. That's false. That's not who Jesus Christ is. That is not the gospel. Not here in America. We found an easier way of filling our churches. We have eliminated the Christian's responsibility in America. We've made it not only easy, but we have made it attractive as well. You can be rich as a Christian. You can be healed as a Christian. You can escape the world's problems as a Christian. That sounds good. And on a level, part of it's true. But at the end of the day, in totality, it's false. Jesus didn't make the gospel attractive. He made the gospel necessary. John 3, 3, in the easy-to-read version, Jesus answered, I assure you, everyone must be born again. Anyone who is not born again cannot be in God's kingdom. Folks, the theme is constant. The Amplified, I assure you and most solemnly I say to you, the CEV says, I tell you for certain you must be born again. The Expanded Bible, I tell you the truth. God's Word Bible, I can guarantee this truth. You get the picture. There's only one way to get saved. Romans 1.15, here it comes. For I am not ashamed of what? Of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. What's, what's the gospel? It's the Bible. It is the totality. It is the whole counsel of God. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Do you get that, folks? The gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. They could have added a word there. It is the only power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. That's why our gospel is under such assault. That's why I'm sitting here talking to you now 
what what what's the title of this thing? Can we please preach the gospel? Only one way to get saved. Jesus loves you is nice, and it's true, but it is not the gospel. It will not save you. That's why the gospel's under such assault, because we're trying to make it easy to be saved. It's not easy. Paul talks about, was it Paul? It might have been Jesus. He talked about the fact that you must agonize the straight gate. You must agonize to get through the gate. That's how you get saved. It's an agonizing effort. The Greek word is agonizomai, and we get our word agonizing for it. And that's the effort that it takes. Now, the early Christians know that. The Christians in the Middle East know that. We don't know that in America, which is the fault of those who are presenting the gospel. Let's see. That's why it's under such assault, because it's counterfeited. We have to make it true. We have to go back to preaching the word of God the way it's been written. If we don't preach the gospel, people will remain in their sin and spend eternity in hell. It drives me up a wall, these preachers that refuse to talk about sin. I don't understand. How can you do that? Do you know, do you have any sense what hell is going to be like? Do you so easily deprive people of the opportunity to get saved like you did? I got saved because I was told that my sin was keeping me in a relationship with God. I'm a sanguine. I love people. I need to bond with people. I need to have a relationship with people. When they told me I could have a relationship with Christ, that won me. That won me. What do I have to do? All you got to do is repent of your sin. I said, okay, give me a pen and a paper. Give me lots of paper. No, that wasn't it. It was the general attitude of recognizing I am a sinner. But that was presented to me. I repented of my sin. God cleansed me, washed me in the blood. The Holy Spirit came inside me, gave me new life. Hallelujah, I am now crucified with Christ. Christ lives in me, the hope of glory. I have this treasure in earthen vessels. Jesus Christ in me. Thank you, Jesus. I firmly believe in my heart that the people who are leaving parts of the gospel out, the people who change it, the people who use it for personal gain, I'm telling you, they're in pulpits. They don't know God. Once again, Diane and I were currently not attending a local assembly because not we have left the faith. We are guarding our faith from the liars and the false and the imposters and the workers of Satan who are assaulting our pulpits with another gospel. That's right. Probably 90% of our leaders in churches today throughout America are compromising the gospel in some manner. I was listening to Dave Reagan, Lamb and Lion Ministries. They had their prophecy conference for 2023, I think back in May. But I got my hands on it and we were watching it. And I was listening to David Barton. David Barton, great, great historian, uh, probably has the world's greatest library on the papers and the documents from our founding fathers. Libraries full of Washington's writings, of Hamilton, of John Jay, uh, Jefferson Adams. And so he was quoting some figures from George Barna, the premier preeminent Christian pollster. And these numbers are astounding. I may have quoted them once before. 384,000 senior pastors, right, in America. 384,000 senior pastors in America. And he was saying that only 28% of them will preach the foundational basics of the gospel. Basically, Christ lived a sinless life. Christ went to hell. Christ was resurrected. There's three or four more. But only 28% of these senior pastors believe in those six foundational principles. I go, wow. And then here's the astounding part of it. Only 2% of the 120,000 or so pastors that are willing to believe and preach 
those foundational truths, uh, were willing to apply them to the sin in America. They were willing to admit that Christ is the only way, that there's no other way. They were uh, not willing to talk about the sin. They were not willing to talk about homosexual living. They were not willing to talk about abortion, divorce. Only 2% of those 120 who got it right concerning our foundational truths were willing to talk about and address the sins of our culture on Sunday morning. Basically, that means there's less than 1,000 churches in our nation. That's 200,000. That's 20 per state. 20 per state, let's see, three major cities in in Texas. You got Houston, you got San Antonio, and you got uh, Dallas, Fort Worth. You know, you're talking about maybe seven good, full of the power of God preaching churches in America. This is ridiculous. That's why we are talking about the gospel. We've got to go back to preaching the gospel. Wow. Galatians 1, 6, 8, Paul writes, I marvel that you were so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ and moved into another gospel. Can you see the danger from listening to a false gospel? Can you see the danger from listening to people that won't talk about sin? Can you see the danger from people that won't acknowledge that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life? I mean, there's uh, only 9% of the church, 9%, 1 in 10 people, only them, 1 in 10 people have a biblical world view. Look what has happened to the church. That's because we've compromised the gospel. We filled it with lies. Satan's people, they dress up as uh, people of righteousness and they're standing in our pulpits. You know, 1,800 pastors a month resign. Uh, I have no trouble figuring that out. That's because 1,800 pastors have not been called by God. I don't think it's so easy to resign pulpit if God has called you there. That's why I say most of these people that are quitting are not called by God. But unfortunately, there are so many already in there who have not been called by God. You are getting the wrong teaching. You are getting false teaching. You are being deceived. I am surprised and astonished. I'm giving you the Amplified right now for Galatians 1. I am surprised and I am astonished that you are so quickly turning renegade and deserting Christ, who invited and called you by the grace, the unmerited favor of Christ, the Messiah, and that you are transferring your allegiance to a different, even an opposition gospel. That's what false teaching does to you. Basically, in context, in Galatians 1, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you. That is talking about the Judaizers. They were saying that Christ wasn't enough. They were in churches and they were teaching. And they were saying Christ isn't enough. They acknowledged that Christ was the Messiah. They were acknowledging that Christ died, rose again. But they were saying Christ isn't enough. You have to obey the Jewish laws. You have to be circumcised. You have to keep the feast, the festival days. They were adding unto the gospel. And Paul saying, no, no, no. You cannot follow them. It was easy for the Jews because Christianity must have seemed so easy to them after having lived a life where they had to uh, obey all the laws, where they were constantly uh, having a life where they had to wait for the year to go to the high priest to get the sin washed from them on the Day of Atonement. That's the false gospel. That's what it does. And so it disturbed them, the actual wording is. This is what happens when you follow the wrong people, saints. You desert God. Right here, God himself says that he called you. And now after digesting this garbage from the Judaizers, from the false teachers, now what's happening is you are turning renegade, you're becoming an enemy of God. Saints, this is serious business. Look at the wording. You literally are transferring your allegiance from God to something that opposes God. 
And then Paul writes in verse 7, which is not another gospel, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Here Paul says, it's not another gospel. It's very similar to the true gospel, but they perverted it. In context, Paul is warning the newly born Jewish Christians to watch out for the Judaizers who were trying to teach that salvations needed more than Jesus. It needed the keeping of the law as well. Many Jewish Christians were falling for this. Uh, commentator John Phillips explains, the Galatians had been swept off their feet. After all, the Judaizers specialized in quoting scripture, but they took text out of context. Boy, we do that today, man, I'll tell you. But they took text out of context and ignored the dispensational dimension of the scriptures. Error, especially when it is wrapped in scripture and presented under the cover of false hermeneutic teaching can sound very much like the truth. People who are not instructed in the whole counsel of God can become an easy prey for false teachers. We're seeing it now. My pet peeve right now and how dangerous this is, well, there's two. One person I know closely won't talk about sin, but there's another that, then this is church-wide, that are denying the sovereignty of God in the earth. It sounds good, and the reason they do it, it was first denying the God, sovereignty of God in the earth. That sounds terrible. But what they do to explain it is they talk about the fact that Jesus said, behold, I give you might, power, authority over all of the power of the enemy and nothing shall harm you. And so they're saying, well, God gave us authority in this earth and he has, but he's given us authority over the kingdom of darkness. But they're taking that to mean that we can control our government. We can take authority in this. It's called the seven mountain theory where we're going to, have great impact in the music industry, in entertainment, in in religion, in government, in education. I mean, no, we can impact them, but we're not supposed to be controlling them. But now it's gotten to the point where they're teaching that God can't do anything on the earth unless he partners with man. That is false. That is heretical. That is idolatry. That's right out of Romans where it says we're worshiping the creation rather than the creator where the church now is using scriptures to expand the authority that they have. That is false, and people are falling for it, but they make such a good case. Of course you'd like to have authority. Of course you want to have power. Yes, you want to be rich. Yes, you want to be popular. I mean, this sells. This fills seats, right? More power to you, uh, more riches to you, healing. Everybody's going to be healed. This stuff is garbage, but it's in keeping with the apostate promises that Paul and Jesus made when they were talking about right before his return, what would our society look like? MacArthur on the Judaizers, he says the Judaizers who played the early church claimed to be Christians and much of their doctrine was orthodox. So dangerous people. They must have recognized Jesus as the promised Messiah and even acknowledged the value of his sacrificial death on the cross. Otherwise, they would never have gotten the toehold or a hearing in the church. They claimed to believe all the truths that the other Christians believed. They did not purport to overtly deny the gospel, but they were making a case that they were improving it by adding the requirements, the ceremonies, the standards of the old covenant to the new. That must have sold, man, to the Orthodox Jew. But anything added to grace destroys it just as surely as does anything taken from it. When law, even God's own law, is added to his grace, his grace ceases to be grace. The Galatians at this point, guys, they hadn't totally defected yet. 
Paul was trying feverishly to arrest this desertion before it became permanent. His attitude is one of astonishment and fear, hoping that it's not too late. As Pastor said, it's not too late for souls. Our nation may very well be past its day of visitation, yes, but the door always remains open for souls. That's why I'm I'm so intense about defending the gospel. That's why I want to make sure we preach the whole counsel of God. You can't not talk about sin and think that you're preaching the gospel. You know, Jesus, Matthew 121, Jesus came, born of the Virgin Mary, to save his people from their sin. That's why Jesus came. If you removed the reason why Jesus came, then you removed the necessitation of mankind needing deliverance from that sin. And you're doing away with Jesus as the Savior. No, no, you cannot do that stuff. I pray that your eyes are open, people, that if you're following the wrong people, that God will move you to a place where you need to be. This is serious business. We are guarding your souls. We love you in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.